welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Sure, I'm a sexaholic. Hi, and um, I've been sober for about 27 years and four months, uh, but who's counting? You know, one day at a time, I have a little... Uh, application on my uh, iPhone and it gives you the days how Sorry many days and, uh, this is my, for my hearing, hearing okay. problem so just kind of leave it in front of you okay Please. usually with my loud Yankee voice you can hear me anywhere but um, uh, <coughs> okay can I move it up yeah, you can pick it up how, how does this work Glenn Go ahead. Just, you have to talk to me. Okay. How does that work, Glenn? Yeah, it's all right. Good. Glenn has had more problems with me over the years. <laughs> I went through this uh, pacing st- state where I'd walk up and down during my talks, and uh, Glenn wouldn't have what a nightmare for him. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm a typical sexaholic, so I don't like to be told what to do, so we're not going to follow any of this. We're just going to say uh, the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, this is um, a sponsor of mine past few weeks said to me, Harvey, you know, sometimes I think over the past two years you've been in some kind of crusade about certain topics. And at first I got a little uptight how, you know, someone to think I'm on a crusade. And after he said it, I said, you know, you're probably right. I have been on a crusade. And um, he said, you've been on this crusade about lust. And you haven't necessarily been sharing quite as much about your own stuff. And I was thinking about it and realized, number one, uh, I'm a pretty transparent guy. Matter of fact, I say too much on these tapes at times. But I've had an experience that my sponsor had, and he was the first to ever say it publicly in essay many years ago, that he was not experiencing lust that day. And so it's a little tough sometimes for me to share about the lust, which we're not going to talk about, but we're going to get this all in today, uh, because it's not as active today. 
it's still there. Yes, it shows up in my dreams. It shows up when my wife is not dressed and I need to walk out of the room. You know, it shows up still and it's waiting. It's very cunning, baffling, and powerful and very, very patient. But lust has been my crusade, especially since Roy died. And Roy wrote the steps in a very specific way. He did not say we were powerless over sexually acting out. He said we were powerless over lust. Okay? So I've been sharing, had a workshop a few weeks ago just on lust. But lust is one of three topics that I have been on a crusade with over the past nine years. And the first of these showed up in an article I wrote in the essay in about 202, and it's now in the Tools of Recovery, I think, book, or the Best of Essay, one of those books, called What is Sex with Self? And that was the first one. Now, you're going to see a connection because I have decided over the years that I'm going to bring up topics that people don't want to hear. So the one of those topics is what really is sex with self? The other topic I wrote about is lust. And then this month in the essay is a topic we really don't ever want to talk about. What about sex and marriage? According to the way we act at meetings, nobody's having sex in this program. <laughs> Nobody. When in reality, most people are having active sex lives in this program. Not all people, but many people. And so these are the elephants in the living room that I've decided to share and talk about and get into the light. Not that there are definite answers, and I'll, if you remind me, I'll tell you later on what Roy said about a year before he died, and I asked him. I said, Roy, oh, I might as well tell you now. <laughs> no, I'm not. I've got to keep it. Keep this as a surprise. No. Uh, I said, Roy, why did you keep this so vague? What is sex with self? And you could have knocked me over from his answer. He said, this is not a religion, and we cannot dot the I's. I'm going to dot some I's today. <laughs> out of my opinion, not out of what is right or wrong. Best, I think we need to, first of all, get that concept, what is right or wrong. This program is not a prohibitionist program. If this is a prohibitionist program, we're in trouble. 
because that's what wrecked the Washington movement, which was the precursor of the AA movement. They got involved in prohibition, and it knocked it out. They had some similar principles, similar programs, killed it. We are not a prohibitionist fellowship, but we attract many fundamentalist religious people. This is just what we do. In the beginning of SA, when I first came in, we had more ministers, choir leaders, organists, Sunday school teachers. Uh, The rabbis came in later, but (laughs) they came in out of the closet a bit later. But man, we used to have priest meetings, and we used to have this meeting and that meeting, and... um, We're a religious group of people. And so we tend to see this program in I'm bad getting good, not sick getting well. And you keep doing it, or if I kept doing it, no way it's going to work. No way. That means we're not accepting the first step. And the first step says I'm powerless. So, if we're powerless, there has to be a reason we're powerless. Well, the reason, and again, I reviewed this this week on reading something in general uh, from the essay book. And Roy was so clear. The S.A. book is not our basic text. He was so clear. He said it so clearly. He even said kind of we're going to just brush stroke. We didn't use those words, but the steps. In the chapter under steps. The A.A. book is the basic text and the 12 and 12. And if you don't understand the first 164 pages of the AA book, you're going to have trouble with this program. When I say trouble, I mean we have a tremendous amount of relapsers. And Paul kind of hit it. My sponsor would say it differently. Relapsing is not a prerequisite for sobriety. Or recovery. Matter of fact, those who come back are very fortunate. In Nashville that first year, I used to keep track. 120 people came through. Or 102, 100. Uh, I make this stuff up, this stuff up <laughs> as I go along. My problem with lying never st- ceases to amaze me. I start believing my own numbers. It probably was 102 rather than 120, let's be safe. But it had a 2 and a 1 in it. 12, yeah. <laughs> well... There were two of us after a year. Two. Now, who the hell wanted what we had? You know? <laughs> we were lucky there were two of us left. 
But after a period of time, naturally, you know, we built up. We have in Nashville, just Nashville and small vicinity, we have about 43 meetings a week. And we get 50, 60 people in our Saturday meetings. We get 20, 25 on our uh, morning meetings, afternoon meetings, um, evening meetings. Uh, uh, but if I'm gone and sometimes they take jobs around the country or leave for a while, I come back sometimes the room doesn't look the same after a few months. We have a tremendous amount of coming and going. Now, Nashville has tremendous amount of sobriety. We have many people with over 20 years, over 15, etc. But let me tell you, those faces come and go. And so what are some of these issues? And since you came in to hear about what is sex with self, first I want to say, if you don't accept the doctor's opinion from the AA book, None of this will make sense. If you cannot accept that this is an allergy, and if you end up thinking masturbation is bad and evil, rather than most people masturbate successfully, but they outgrow it. We've never outgrown masturbating. <laughs> Mas- not only don't we ever outgrow it, it keeps growing. <laughs> it got to a point where I had to do it every few hours. Just like cigarette smoking where you get your withdrawal. I didn't understand what it was. Looking back at it, my cycle was every few hours. And in my story, I'm a low-bottom drunk, so that wasn't all I did. But in our addiction, it doesn't matter. You do something else. I was very promiscuous. I was a sexually abusive husband. Kept giving my wife venereal diseases, you name it. But once I did something new, I never closed the door on what I was doing before. It just always added on, added on. Because my brain, because I have a disease, needed a larger dose for the same effect. Now, Roy talks about that addictive process in the beginning of the book. But basically, it's a physical allergy accompanied by a mental obsession. For years and years, and I still got that call the other day from someone. It never stopped. Many people in this fellowship think that as long as you don't have an orgasm, you're not masturbating. And people get maybe surprised by it, but let me tell you, don't be surprised. And I'll bring this up to you in many ways. In People say SA is a real tough program, that the other S programs are easier. Actually, SA is one of the loose programs. We have certain bottom lines, but we don't define those bottom lines. So an exhibitionist can be in this program 
and stand in front of a window naked and be aroused and not touch himself and say, Oh, I'm sober. (laughs) Or he could stand in front of a window and watch some gal get undressed. And by the way, if this is triggering y'all, tough shit. (laughs) I get into this, oh, it's triggering me, it's triggering me. Man, with what we've done, cut it out. (laughs) You name it, we've done it, or we've thought about doing it ten times, at least. We're not little dainty flowers. (laughs) In Nashville, we're not so easy. This don't be explicit crap, we don't go for that. We still read it because we read everything we're supposed to read. But if you don't like what someone says, you raise your hand, they shut up for a minute, and it's courtesy for you to walk out for a few minutes until you feel comfortable coming back. If the person is sober saying it, that if someone's coming off the streets and drunk as hell and talking explicitly, well, that's a different story. Then we need to tell them, hey, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. You know. But make a long story longer. <laughs> we and excuse me for using that four letter word. I make an amend, ask your forgiveness. But I'm powerless. You'll probably hear it five more times during this session. Uh, but I'm better than I used to be, but not as well as I'm going to get. Um, but, so it comes to what is sex with self? What we could get away with this program is unbelievable. And now, since over a period of time, since a big book was written, and I, it came, the essay book was written, I came into the program before we had an essay book. And since it's been written, wow, this internet stuff is whoop. And what I hear from people about the specificity of what you could look up, you know, that adrenaline rush, man, unbelievable. And so you can go and look something up and be there aroused. I want to know, if you don't call that sex with self, what the heck do you call it? You're alone. You're purposely letting yourself get aroused. Give me a name for it. Denial. Denial. Playing around the edges. Delusion. Delusion. Insanity. Insanity. <laughs> <laughs> now, maybe it's close to my heart because at the height of my disease, I was able to have a sexual fantasy, get aroused, and have an orgasm. I didn't always need my hands. When your disease advances enough, 
Man, it's all kinds of stuff could happen. Or some people do it against the bed. They're not using their hands. Somehow, masturbation has come up where you have to use your hands to a point of orgasm. Now, if someone's doing that, I'm not saying they're not sober. That's not for me to say. I'm saying it would be a loss of sobriety for me. Because of the motive. The motive. You know, in AA, you don't do drugs. But sometimes you go for operations, you get drugs. Your motive is very different. It's a very important aspect of, of Roy calls this attitude. The attitude. If you are purposely going on the internet to look at pornography and letting yourself be aroused, statistically your motive is to have self-stimulation legalistically, in quotes. And then you wonder why you end up relapsing. And you just, hey, how did that happen? It doesn't happen that time. First of all, you've pulled it in. You've re-photographed it. Which gets us back to the whole concept of why we're here. This we're powerless over lust. So you're feeding the lust. The acting out is not the problem. The acting out is the result of the problem. If you don't lust, you're not going to act out. You know, wow, what a heavy concept. <laughs> now, some years ago, they had this... Uh, Big deal with Abu Ghraib or the thing in Iraq, you know, and waterboarding and how horrible it was. I want to tell you about a torture that I believe is worse than waterboarding. It's playing with yourself and not having an orgasm. If that's not self-torture, what the heck is? In this program, people... That old word from centuries ago about masturbation, self-abuse, they used to call it. If that's not self-abuse, it's torture. To be aroused and not purposefully and not have an orgasm, that is a torturous procedure. And yet, in our disease, people will say, Oh, that's okay. It's not harming me in any way. Uh, for the guys, I don't know how the women do it, but for the guys, showers and soap, man, what a good excuse. I've just opened myself up five dozen times. To thine own self be true. You know, examining what is your motive. Am I doing it purposefully? 
Am I thinking I'm getting away with it? Am I feeding lust? And we're going to get back to the roughest question situation of them all. Why do people keep relapsing? First of all, they never get sober. Some people never get sober in this program. They stop masturbating to orgasm for a while, but heck, they are doing things with themselves to their head, to other parts of their body, and just saying, I'm not getting an orgasm, so I'm okay with this. And it's the lust. It says membership in this fellowship is not like in AA. In AA it says to have a desire to stop drinking. Our membership requirements say a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. So people come in this program and they've had trouble from acting out. Their wives have caught them. They Police have caught them. Other people have caught them. Uh, they're getting sick. They're getting venereal diseases. They don't want to act, <coughs> act out. No acting out. But they don't ever want to stop lusting. They don't have a desire to stop lusting. So they always end up standing on the outside looking in. Never feeling a part of instead apart from. And so how to get that point of saying, I am allergic to lust, not because it's bad, not because it's evil, but because I have a damaged brain. I believe I have a damaged brain. I was born with this. And I was undressing my Sunday school teacher, picturing him having sex with his wife before I even knew what sex was. This disease runs throughout my family. Someday they'll find the genetic location for it. But I got it. And it will never go away. It's just waiting. It's a disease. It's like diabetes. It's incurable. But just like high blood pressure or diabetes, you take your high, high blood pressure medicine properly and they take your blood pressure, it's totally normal. But stop taking your blood pressure medicine. Wow. Starts going up again. So for me, this is a whole concept of the importance of my avoiding lust. And as Jess would say, the first thought, excuse me, the first thought is on God. The next thought is on me. So you don't end up turning on the internet because all of a sudden you say, Ooh, I'm going to turn on the internet something starts digging at you. Some thought starts coming in. Some picture in your head, some two-dimensional picture 
when that two-dimensional picture comes in of one of the porno stars you know or one of the body parts you know, when it's in that two-dimensional form, that one is on God. That's how he made me. What I do with that two-dimensional picture, slide, photograph, that's on me. Do I let it become a motion picture or not? Once it's a film, meaning a sexual fantasy, God himself would have trouble stopping it. He could, but you know, there's this expression in AA that God is so mighty, so powerful, that if an alcoholic in recovery lifts up an open bottle of liquor to his mouth and picks it up close to his mouth, God is so powerful that he could knock it right out. But statistically, he doesn't do that. (laughs) Once that sexual fantasy comes, now in a women's group it did last week, they said they don't have this problem like guys do. Another, not about fantasy. Next thing I say. Next thing I say. For us guys... It's easier to hold in having to take a leak than to stop it midstream. Once you start pouring it out, man, is it tough to stop it. It gets painful because it's a natural physiological reflex. Once that motion picture begins, it's tough to stop it. And once it begins, what you have in the AA book starts happening. The craving, the phenomenon of craving begins. Now, the way I do it is say, I could go to a Mexican restaurant and tell the waitress or the waiter, please take those taco chips away. But if I eat one taco chip, just one, the flour and the salt combination, there is no way I'm not going to eat a half of a basket or a whole basket. No way. Okay, so it all depends on where in this continuum I work on these issues. Now, what do we do? How do we stop that first thought, the natural picture that comes in? What do we do? How do we deal with it? How do we try to stop it so it doesn't end up in, in quotes, technical sobriety, where we're saying, oh, we're really sober when we're doing all kinds of stuff? It's hidden. These tools are hidden. I so wish they would have put it in the front of the essay book instead of the back. It's in the chapter, How I Overcame My Obsession with Lust. It's a beautiful chapter. You know, Roy was just, I believe, divinely inspired to write some of this stuff. You know? He just wrote things down that are just 
beyond anybody's awareness of how to do this at times. And some of those are real basic. One is, God, whatever it is I'm looking for in that thought, may I find in you. What are we doing? We're surrendering that first thought. We're not saying, oh my God, I had that thought. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm I'm a piece of crap. I'm no good. Look, I had that kind of vulgar thought for a moment. Oh my God, it's an aberrant thought. And we get all crazy-headed. No. He says it in Recovery Continues. In that chapter, the joy response. It's not the temptation that's our problem. Matter of fact, it's having the temptation and transcending the temptation where we get our joy. Where we get that wonderful feeling. There are many tools in that chapter. Some are not comfortable for me. Casting out is not one of those that are comfortable for me. But some people love that one. Uh, I use, I need a very personal relationship to the God of my understanding. I came in here with the God of my mother's understanding. But the God of my understanding, I have to talk to like I talk to my best friend. God, whatever it is I'm looking for in her breasts, may I find in you. I'm very explicit with my God. He knows my thoughts before I have them anyway, so who am I kidding? <laughs> Should be uptight telling him what I'm, I'm thinking. If he wanted to get me for what I did, man, he missed his chance. <laughs> I found a God in this program who watched me do every one of those low-life things I did in the pornos to men I didn't even know. My disease doesn't know the difference between men, women, going to dogs, you name it. He loved me so much, he'd watch what I did, and then he'd bring me to essay. That's the God I have today, who I had to borrow from somebody. He knows I have this disease. You know. And he's enjoying that I'm taking my medication every day so that I don't end up having to live that life I used to live before. So how does one go about being honest with themselves and saying, hey, am I really acting out. What I suggest to people is not to run out this door and say, oh, i got to change my sobriety. i got to do this. I got Harvey said this. Or, Cut it out. <laughs> what I'm saying is be true to yourself. Talk to your sponsor about it. And then say to the sponsor, I sit for an hour or two in front of the computer. Or I'm wearing uh, very low-cut, revealing dresses 
not the guys right now we're talking about, but the yeah, and I'm I know I'm purposefully showing exhibiting myself. You know, if you talk to your sponsor, if I do that again, I need to consider changing my sobriety, and I'll talk to you about it. And then if I do it again, I need to use that for a bottom line. I could not make it on the definition of sobriety that's said here in the fellowship. I was a sexually abusive husband. I had to have sex with my wife twice a day. She was not safe with me. She was not safe with me. If not that it's ever going to happen the way things are, but if I have sex with my wife twice in one day, that's a loss of my bottom line. Two separate times, two purposeful times. One not related to another. And even if it were related, I'd have to kind of judge what I was doing there. But that would be a loss of my sobriety. If I go into a porno store for any reason other than pulling someone out who has called me, (laughs) that is a loss of my bottom line sobriety. If I go into a male shower room to observe men's naked bodies, that is a loss of my bottom line sobriety. And this was real tough a year ago. We were babysitting for my grandchildren, and they go swimming in this um, community center uh, swimming pool and the only way to get in was through the male locker room, the shower areas. I stood outside for two hours and waited for them. I am powerless. I am without power. It doesn't matter how much sobriety I have. That concept of being powerless just kind of flies by people because they, so many people think, oh, it's just willpower. It's a sin. I shouldn't do this. I could just not do it and say I'm not going to do it and talk to God about it and not do it. I am without power. And I gave some guys the example last night that if I am in a car and I ate some bad food and I'm on the interstate and I know I'm going to have diarrhea and the road sign says rest up one mile willpower or sphincter power <laughs> will hold it off for a mile but if that road sign says 50 miles to the next service station, no way will willpower work. So to thine own self be true, which implies the toughest thing in this program, being honest. Being honest with your sponsor. 
telling them what you're actually doing. Sharing it with them. Explicitly. I cannot get this message across. Uh, Over and over I say it. When you say, I'm lusting today, that's a diseased, phony, diseased word. You're hiding behind the word lusting. What the heck does that word mean? And people can't say that to me. I say, what do you mean you're lusting? Oh, I thought about this girl. What the heck does that mean? You thought she needed a new haircut? What do you think (laughs) you thought? Well, I was thinking about sex with her. I said, I don't know what that word sex means. What does that mean? I get them to tell me you won't be... No, you wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) The stuff I hear is unbelievable in the fact of I wouldn't have known what they were talking about being in that situation if they hadn't told me. So it's a way of hiding through vagueness of not having to let your sponsor know what you're really doing. And what does it say in our big, in the big book? And there's only one way in how it works not to get this program. And that's to be dishonest with yourself. If you're dishonest with yourself, you're going to be dishonest with your sponsor. And with the group, so nobody knows how to help you. How can someone help you if they don't know what it is you're struggling with? I could go on all day with this, and I want to leave it, uh, leave it open and get some feedback, some questions. This is core issue stuff, guys and gals. Core issue. Um, I sometimes I think that Roy was so the word isn't only above it that he was so comfortable. That's the word with what he said that he thought we all understood because he understood it so well. The, what he meant by lust, what he meant by um, sex with self, that I think he somehow didn't realize at times, perhaps, how people were not really getting it. That what they were getting was the aspect of acting out And that over the years, the fellowship started shifting into a fellowship that basically emphasized merely acting out and not lust. And that over the years, I watched Roy have different kind of programs he'd get involved with within SA. Uh, they'd be called by the city that would do them, and then there was that accountability group, and there were just a lot of different things that developed over the years. But I think it was his awareness, possibly, 
at some level that people weren't getting it, but I think we weren't getting it. This We just weren't getting it. We didn't realize the importance of this concept of lust, which goes right with this technical sobriety issue of acting out without really acting out. I mean, when you're watching <laughs> internet and being aroused, that is pure lust. That's not only lust in your head, that's lust in action. To thine own self be true, um, letting yourself know what are your bottom lines, your true bottom lines. Not ending up sponsoring tons of people and you're acting out legalistically. If you want what I have and are willing to go at any length to get it, why would people want what we have? If, and I see it, I've had it happen to me. I'd be out there with someone I knew well talking, you know, in the past years, and all of a sudden, some beautiful woman would walk by, and the guy who was talking to me would turn around, look at her, and be totally lost, and I felt totally invisible. He had no awareness he was lost, that he was acting out. No awareness that all he had to do was say, God, Whatever it is I see in her beauty, may I find in you. And by the way, if any of you haven't done this, it's such a great, wonderful feeling to write down all the characteristics, especially, let's say, of women who you're attracted to, and to write down their characteristics and what you're looking for from them. Is it nurturing? Is it their beauty? Is it their making you feel better as if they're lusting after you, whatever it is, and write down what you're looking for from them and then say, can I find this in God? And let me tell you, I've done it time and again, yes. That feeling of security, that feeling of nurturing, that feeling of being appreciated, whatever it is, and to use the spiritual tools. It's a physical disease, but it's spiritual tools that help us stay sober one day at a time. So I'm going to leave this open to you all. Uh, if you thought this was a um, uh, meeting, <laughs> it turned into a speaker meeting, but that's whatever happens to me. I'm powerless, or can I tell you? Uh, <laughs> Once they said, would you talk for 10 minutes? I said, I can't give my name in 10 minutes. <laughs> Let me hear from you guys and gals. Pat, yeah, Pat. Can you come up here, Pat, please? Part of why I came in here, I just went through a, about of uh, probably about 10 days of what we were talking about in terms of the Internet pornography. And, you know, I know the difference between 
searching out lust. And I could tell that I was doing that. And I was uncomfortable even making my calls and doing all that because I did the vague thing, you know? Uh, so I, I'm not struggling with that. What I'm struggling with is what was happening before that. That in the sex with my wife, when she uses her mouth or she uses her hand or, or something like that, or I look down at her, her breasts and things, that is that sex with self. Have I lost my sobriety then? And I, I'm a big book thumper. I love that. But the big book's very clear that we, we cannot uh, legislate between each other sexual issues. And I think, am I trying to do what man cannot do in a sense? You know, cause I don't know what happens with all of you if you're married, you know, but I know what happens with me. And I know that every time I'm with my wife, it's not just a totally spiritual experience. You know, even if we do pray, it's not just a totally uh, spiritual experience. So for me in this program, that's a big part of what I'm struggling with in terms of, I think it's a real spiritual program. But I also think of uh, Dr. Bob. You know, he was totally different than Bill W. Bill W. was relieved of his uh, obsession with drinking at all. Dr. Bob was not. He said he thought about drinking every day. By our definition, what we're talking about now, he would not be sober. That's what I think. And I'm just trying to figure out where's that bottom line in this where I can feel comfortable getting a chip, you know, getting a chip that says I'm sober and other people in the program, you know, that they've come. Because I know before I got in this program, I struggled with compulsive masturbation every day, four or five times a day, you know. Internet, all those things. I think some of this is just impatience, perhaps. I knew that if I continued to do what I was doing, I would be masturbating again, and I would be in affairs, and I would be doing the things because the the nature of the addiction. But I also, you know, so to me, it's the sobriety that matters. I just need to know what's going on in my relationship with my wife. Am I breaking my sobriety? And I'd love to hear some discussion about that because I really believe what you're talking about. Thank you. Okay, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about it because this is about the that article I wrote. To thine own self be true. You know what safe sex is in marriage and what it isn't. You know what's okay for you and what's not. To No one could define it for you. You know. I know it's not good for me to look at myself during intimacy with my wife. It's not good for me. Each person knows their own stuff. And how do we work around that? And how do, and can we tell each other we're not sober? I don't go for that. I tell people to talk to their sponsor, keep it in the open, and see where where it takes you but you got a clue a clue is something you were doing wasn't working for you whether it was with your wife whether it was with your head I cannot play back any sexual action between me and my wife the next day I consider that a sexual fantasy it has nothing to do with the present 
It's just my disease flaring up. And that's just how it is. And where you are so on target, rabbits do this stuff. We're not talking about some sophisticated behavior. (laughs) I mean, it happens. You know, it's been happening for thousands of years. It's no big deal. And it doesn't take that long, too. That's another myth. We pretend that this whole act takes hours and hours and so sophisticated, you know. Heck, it just happens. Especially for sex addicts, it happens very quickly. And the thing is, and Jess helped me a lot with this, I get on my knees, do the third step. I give it to God. I permit no sexual fantasies in my mind. Um, He taught me to let God's light and energy go through my back, into my chest, through my wife's chest, out her back, into my hand, and rotate around. So that God's light, and I'm praying throughout, God's light is flowing through me, and I'm getting out of the picture of anything about my lower part of my body. That's up to God. I'm dealing with the upper part and the spiritual part. Does it happen every time? Hell no. Yes, I'm a sophisticated animal, and I'm not even sophisticated sometimes. (laughs) You know? And... But to thine own self be true. I won't go into it, but I had a certain behavior years ago that I was doing in my marital bed, and it didn't feel comfortable. And so, naturally, what did I do? I did it again. (laughs) And it didn't feel comfortable. So I did it again. After about the fourth, fifth time of doing it over a period of time, I said, shoot, if I do it again, I'm going to talk to my sponsor about it. Think about putting this on the bottom line. Why? This program isn't about sex. This program's not even about lust. These are the keys to it. This program is about comfort. If we're not comfortable, we're going to end up acting out. The pain is too much. What is the basic symptom of our disease? That we're restless, irritable, and discontent. That's what the book says. That's who I am. So if I don't get comfort, I'm going to go back out. So I have to be careful not to rationalize, not to try to figure it out, but to go by my comfort level. If it works in your marital bed, what the hell could be wrong with it? Especially in this program. But if it's not working, and it's you're having that doubt, and I have this little expression, if in doubt, do without. Until you speak to your sponsor. Because when you're doing the next right thing, a lot of times that big question doesn't come up in your head. And I'm very glad you you were 
bit explicit here with us because this stuff has to, in my opinion, stop where we're not sharing some of our issues about the marital bed. I think it's just... It's just not healthy for me to be in a room all the time with people who are pretending they're all celibate. And how you deal with it and what you do with it and and how you share it. And sometimes just sharing it out loud takes some of the discomfort away. And it's not that the behavior is the problem, it's the secrets that's the problem in the marital bed. And, you know, in that article I was saying, is it because we feel disloyal to our wives if we talk about it? it? You know, is it because we think people think we shouldn't be having sex at all? I don't know the answer. It just, I'm glad this came up, you know. And, uh, by the way, if anyone thinks I'm saying what is a loss of sobriety and what isn't, I'm not. Yes, if I knew, I'd tell you. <laughs> I I know for sure an orgasm, uh, touching yourself to orgasm is clear-cut masturbation. Everything else, I think you just need to be honest with yourself. And I also think that we have a mixture of many different ages and that a 20-year-old who comes in the program is going to have much more of an issue about having erections all the time than a guy who's 50 or 60. It's going to be a different issue. But let me tell you, the lust doesn't change as you get older. I take the little vitamin V now, I'm 71, the little blue pill, which has changed everything because I have to ask my wife two hours before, honey, is it okay if I take my little blue pill? (laughs) Or she'll say, Harvey, you want to take your vitamin V tonight? And, um, uh, but it never dies. I'm going to end with a, um, something that happened I shared with someone this afternoon. I had a stent put in my heart the uh, last year. And um, they put me under, and I was a little high, and they wheeled me out of the recovery room, and I started gushing blood from where they insert the catheter in you. And I was just, my artery, I was bleeding out. I could have died. I was just gushing blood. And this female nurse was pressing on my groin area. I'm dying and I'm getting aroused (laughs) without vitamin V. (laughs) And I said to her, then a young guy comes in to help her out. That's all I needed, a double header. And I said to them, do you mind covering me up? Because I was totally uncovered up. And they ignored me. And it kept getting worse. As I'm bleeding out. And I said in the most stern voice, because I was already a bit high, 
but I said, cover me up. I'm getting embarrassed, and I want to be covered up. And they put the cover on me, and the whole thing went, you know, nothing happened. Dying, bleeding out, at that time, 70 years old. My wife said they're going to have to build a special shaped coffin for me. <laughs> Why is that so funny? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you must be identifying or you wouldn't be laughing. Okay, and nothing is better than this laughter. This, we're not here as SS troopers to tell you, you better act this way, you better act that way. That's not what it is. What we're saying is to thine own self be true. Share it with people. If you have a doubt, just share it. And that's the recovery in itself. Because true recovery is, let me hear it, progressive victory over lust. Progressive victory. It can't be defined because it keeps being progressive victory. The road gets narrower. I couldn't talk this way my first year or my second or my fifth or whatever. It's the top plate concept. You take the top plate off and you get to see another level. And then the next cafeteria plate gets removed and you see what's under that. And Roy and his, his brilliance of being inspired knew that. And I was there at Warm Beach when he brought that up the first time that top plate concept ever came in. And he went around the room to ask about our top plate. And I was about a year sober and I was so frightened, I ran out of the room. Little did I know it would become a chapter and the recovery continues, and I missed the whole thing. And, you know, my ego said, oh, Harvey, if you only had stayed, and look what you missed. But, man, this is a journey. And it's our motivation, and it's our sincerity, and our honesty not dotting the I's, like Roy said, but just being true to ourselves. That's all I got. Okay. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.